0: It's time, it's time, it's time, it's time to sparkle. sparkle.
1: Greetings, citizens of Sparkletown. This is your deputy mayor speaking. Sparkle Town is a municipality that intersects and overlaps with the city of Berlin. It is ruled by the Contessa, and its citizens are anyone who happens to be listening to this. Today is the um, final episode of season three, as in the bad sound years, weeks, months, whatever. And in today's episode...
2: Mr. Manning, at the end of the day, is too uh, human of a name.
1: Episode nine. Um, Season three, episode nine, yes. Because this once again is done—was this Skype or? Skype.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, no. This was uh, Zoom. Zoom. Zoom, but with a phone.
1: Zoom, but with a phone. Okay. Yeah. So the uh, audio quality of the interview isn't necessarily perfect. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's okay. You can definitely hear all the words, and there's no annoying uh really annoying long dropouts or anything any annoying noises so it's it's um it's all right oh you didn't get your phone ringing in there oh yeah that's right My i just made an annoying noise myself that's right my uh, phone does ring in the background at one point and of course it's my mother and i didn't notice and yeah
0: i'm sorry <laughs> i was busy
1: yeah, yeah yes you were <laughs>
0: No, even even in all of this, it's gonna be quiet around here for a few days because I'm
1: not going out again for a little bit. That's right. We're gonna stay in. We've been to the. Um, we were at the protest at Alexanderplatz, and we've been out to see two shows. And at this point, we're gonna try and maybe be a little bit careful. A little bit
0: more careful. We were yeah. out with masks
1: and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, but masks don't protect you as much as they protect everyone else in case you've got it. So, well, so there's that. Anyway, what do you want to say about today's interview? Philadelphia
0: e? in the house, baby. <laughs>
1: yeah, there will be some <laughs> some of that in the uh, in the interview. Correct. No, so this l- is
0: a fun one because we'll we'll get into this, but um, we're both from Philly. And we get to talk about that.
1: Yes, and you do talk about that quite a bit, but that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. So let's just get to the interview and then we'll talk afterwards.
0: Okay. Hello, would you please do me the favor of introducing yourself?
2: I am Ixa, formerly known as Mr. Vanic, otherwise known as Chi Chi. With a host of other suffixes to go after. <laughs>
0: Now I know I, when I first came to Berlin shows, I did met meet you as Mr. Mannik.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: Why did you choose to change to Exa? Uh,
2: the name itself was always like it started off as a tongue-in-cheek sort of thing, and uh, I just felt that like as my work was evolving and as my performance and like repertoire was evolving and expanding that I wanted something that felt less confining than that name. And I just, you know, when I started it, I really didn't imagine I would uh, go to the lengths that I did with that project. And I kind of sort of, as I evolved over the last 10 years, deliberately chose to keep that name to connect myself to the past. But as I've managed to, you know, accomplish uh, the things that I did in the last two years, I felt it was time to like, you know, uh, identify myself with something that was, I, as I explained to people, more becoming of my alien <laughs> nature. And uh, Mister Manic just at the end of the day, is too uh, human, too pedestrian of a name.
0: Oh, too pedestrian! I like that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> too terrestrial. About that.
0: Yeah, even better. <laughs> now I absolutely know you as one of my. Definitely top three DJs in Berlin. Why Uh, thank you. I also know that you are a musician, a producer of other shows, and you have been known to show up in drag. Yes. What else do you do?
2: Well, the thing I would say is that like uh, some of those things are like incidental, and the first. The first part of that is being a musician. That's how I came into uh, my creative life. I always did like draw and doodle and write, but music was always there and there was a point in time when I chose that I was going to make my own music Mm -hmm. and I stuck with that. Um, Drag came later, but it was a logical progression as I was going through my own gender exploration outside of performance and art. And there were some times, especially uh, as I was developing Mr. Manic, that my gender expression would work its way into my artistry. Yeah. Um, but uh, I never found myself readily availing myself to drag because I'm a rapper and a vocalist and a producer first. So for a long time, just uh, lip syncing uh, didn't make sense to me as a kind of performance, yeah. uh, not any disrespect towards it but like basically just my thing was being a musician so it was like I would do that rather than lip syncing um and uh DJing was it came I would say after 10 years of doing music since high school or middle school and then all the things I had been through all the music that I had learned uh all the times I'd gone out to clubs and I was disappointed with the DJ's selection as a person who myself had a large library of music and vast influences. I picked up DJ because I thought that like I could do it better than a lot of DJs that I was around. And also because I love music so much, it's always been fun to me to share music and share things that I like, and especially to share obscure things that I like in uh, large settings where they would not normally be exposed. And uh, so that, and also the art form of DJing came naturally to me because, as a musician and a producer, I've been a longtime user of synthesizers and drum machines and samplers and other sure. equipment. So using DJ technology has always been something that like came pretty naturally to me, um, and uh, I feel like DJing was just kind of like uh, it, it just went hand in hand with my musicianship. Uh, Drag was incidental, and it was specifically from being in Berlin uh, and going to Monster Ronson's and seeing House of Presents. And uh, the thing that I noticed, which was maybe something that I only saw in the last couple of months of my living in Philadelphia before leaving the U.S. and going to New York and stuff, which was that there started to be, like, a bit more radical drag, a bit more, like... um, queer and like uh, the full spectrum of gender represented in drag performances, uh, more political statements and social uh, social, economic messaging and uh, things of the sort, but also just more experimental performance art. Mm-hmm. And uh, these are things that I saw that were more present in uh, the drag that I was seeing here. And uh, I saw people who were also performing their own original music. And once I saw that, then I saw that uh, there was a space for me to actually um, do what I had been doing for a long time, but in a context of like a a queer space. Because before that, I was just kind of in like punk and like hip hop and like electronic, you know, music and art spaces and stuff. Um, And I think my eventual... uh, performance of drag outside of just playing my own music just came from the fact that as a dj in the house of presents and for house of living colors and being at all these events i got to see just dozens and dozens and dozens of different kinds of drag queens from all over up close up personal got to meet them got to see them perform more than once in different ways and um like just after being that around that creativity for a while i eventually saw uh you know, something that I could do in that vein. And it eventually uh, became something that I picked up and also at the encouragement of people that I had been working with. Mm -hmm. And um, the last note on that, the drag part of it, would be that um, this sort of performance art and also just, like, getting more into dancing, getting more into, like, spoken word over the last year with, like, queerdos and, um, you know, performing with Venus Boys, where I got the chance to explore more character-driven uh, performance, I always saw these things as like contributing to improving and evolving myself as a, a musical performer. So, if I can say that I've been performing my own music as long as I've been a, a musician, that uh, the things that I've picked up along the way have always been like, to me, ways to better myself in that craft. So, drag comes along with that. Mm.
0: Now, let's go into when you're DJing as a musician yourself. Do you get to drop your own music into your set?
2: Uh, on, on occasions, like when I, uh, it depends on what genre, because I have, like, uh, I would say, like, I mostly spin, like, house, mm-hmm. deep house specifically, or hip-hop, rather old-school hip-hop or um like newer stuff like trap. I spin disco sometimes and I spin like maybe some other forms of dance music. So if I have like music that fits genres that I'm playing, uh, then I might put them in there. But I actually don't, I don't use uh, my DJing too much as a platform for myself because performing tends to be my platform. However, I do on occasion find inspiration in a song enough to make my own remix of it. And in that case, then that would end up in a set. And usually this kind of remix would be um, like a, a dance or a club type remix of a song that may or may not already be like that. Mm-hmm. And um, usually for my dance party sets, you know.
0: Now, why Berlin?
2: Uh, Berlin came to me like, Pretty directly because the stuff that I was doing that brought me to Europe in the first place kind of culminated in Berlin, such that the people that I was working with back in the US, in New Jersey and New York and Philly, and we were very close at the time doing our project with a drop dead festival, um, you know, Once Upon a Goth, a lifetime ago. And a lot of the people that I worked with, uh, including from the US, ended up moving to Berlin. People that I had met here in Europe, from other countries, ended up moving to Berlin. And um, also, just I w- had met people that had been through there. Um, and I kept having people tell me, as a musician, that that would be the best place for me to go as an electronic musician. So, of course, it got on my radar as a place to check out. And very specifically, the context in which I got the first vi- visit there, was to visit friends of mine. And I immediately got exposed to the um, what was there, but I was only there for like less than 24 hours. And I did not get a chance to properly explore it until 2012 when I stayed for a month and uh, worked at uh, the 10th anniversary of Drop Dead Festival. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the first time I stayed here, got to see what it was like to kind of live here, got to see how much was here. Um, And even then, I didn't see, I didn't even scratch the surface as I would come to know later that I I thought I saw a lot of shit and I, like, you know, saw a thousand times more since coming here. So I was kind of, like, directly, like, waltzed into Berlin and immediately saw for myself how cool of a a place it was. And I saw, um, I also felt like, in the short time that I spent there, people saw me and recognized my uh, talents and recognized my work and already gave me opportunities and took it seriously in a way that I felt was not happening in Philly, no matter how hard I worked. Mm-hmm. And so part of wanting to come to Berlin felt like that my work would actually yield some return, which I felt it wasn't doing in Philly. And that also I would kind of... Um, be exposed to a larger of community of the kind of uh artists that i'm more gravitating towards because Mm -hmm. while this does exist in uh philadelphia and new york where i've spent most of my time new york has just been going through so much gentrification that it lost a lot of that edge and philly's scene is just too small so i also felt like i would be uh I would have the opportunity to have like a larger community of like-minded people. And as I've come here, basically all those things that made me, that I was idealizing Berlin about uh, mostly came to fruition or turned out to be like, you know, the case. And then I found even more, you know, when I actually got here, such as the drag scene and also the hip hop scene that's here. Yeah.
0: Yeah, It's it's funny you say it that way. I don't know how many people know this, Exa and I do share a little bit of the history. We actually graduated from the same high school.
2: <clears> yes, yes. But a such lot
0: of people apart.
2: That's a strange uh, coincidence because it's not like the first place in the country that like somebody else is gonna be from, <laughs> let alone the state or whatever.
0: The fact that you were, we were both a Philly, You know, we identify as Philly kids, Right. was already a start and then to go a little deeper was kind of funny but to hear you say right. you know berlin and you came to berlin and it's it's like yes the the philadelphia is good but berlin is bigger there's more to it right and i'm finding the same thing now we came down for a visit for a, a three nights because we came down for a concert and right. like Ooh, berlin yeah this place is great and it still took a couple of years before we came for two weeks to scout where do you want to live in Berlin right and it was so much there were so so many places, and now yeah. we're here for four years, and I'm still discovering still
2: discovering yeah uh, you know it actually reminds me a lot of i used to just i used to love New York City so much mm-hmm. as a Philadelphian Yes. because um that like i wanted something that felt like it was exposing me more to the rest of the world and i'm trying to be careful here because it's like i'm critiquing the things that uh didn't work for me in philly while trying not to hate on the city because i still love it um but i used to love new york city because i had like a lot of big plans that i felt like i couldn't get access to them in philadelphia and new york city felt like a bigger place No matter how many times I've been there, it was just impossible to conquer the city. Just everywhere you went, there was more, there was more, there was more. There's something to do everywhere where you know very well it's not hard to come upon a quiet street in Philly. Yeah. Where where nothing's going on and there's many of them. And Berlin kind of has a lot of that feeling to me where it's like you, you, you end up in a part of this city for the first time that you haven't been to after you've been living here for a year and a half, two years, three years. Yes. And then you see how much stuff is in that part of the city. You had no idea that that whole thing, that whole city had its own vibe and culture and all these things going on there. It's, um, it reminds me a lot of like that feeling that New York City gave me. But yeah. the main difference is that... Um, There's a lot more like like there's a lot more infrastructure for like experimental and underground and fringe arts, and that's the thing that makes it so cool to me. Yeah, but I
0: I feel like Berlin is what Philadelphia wanted to be. Yeah. But bigger.
2: (laughs) We uh, we also have some laws in Philadelphia that I think make certain things difficult in terms of like the size and scale of events. Uh, yeah. Mainly being, um, well, we also have like very stringent no smoking laws, which uh, that's not a problem for me actually, like that. You, you know, I would prefer not to be around cigarette smoke inside, but I can deal with it. But then, uh, you know, the law where it's like you cannot serve alcohol in the same room where um, people who are under the age of drinking are. Right. So you have to have. Basically, at least a section, separated section where alcohol is drank, or you have to have a separate room. And another room would be all ages and like or 18 plus, and then there would be the party that's 21 plus. Yeah. And like, um, this is like even though the first I think instinct people would have would be like, oh, all ages people like should not be in the same room with like uh, 21 plus year old people, but one of the first nights I used to go out to in Philly was Nocturne at Shampoo, Um, and this was all ages, and there was a 21-plus section down there, and there would be the older people up in the uh, top floor, and there was never, I I can't say never, but there weren't, you know, it wasn't uh, a pattern of, like, inappropriate behavior and interaction. I'm sure it occurred plenty, but it existed just fine, and this was probably the biggest, like, kind of underground alternative Party that I remember existing in Philly, besides the Dracula's Ball events, which were done by the same guy. Right. Um, and so, like, things like this lead to the lack of 18 plus and all ages events in Philly. And then we have also very particular laws about fire codes. So, a lot of spaces that could serve as good, like, underground hangouts, good, like, small show spaces and like that, they 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 won't stay open. They can't stay open. They're going to get shut down. And so, the um, people who do like experimental noise music, for example, like they're not going to really be able to book at like a, a downtown like big bar to do a show. They're not going to be booked at like a big club space to do a show. And so they get less and less places, and those scenes get crushed out because of that. Yeah. So like there's little infrastructural things in Philly that I think. Uh, prevent there from it being possible. Uh, the other thing is that, of course, events, and this is not that uncommon, but the events in uh, spaces have to close by 2 a.m. So there's also, like, at the longest, you're going to have four to five hours to party. Mm-hmm. And so these are these are things that are just in place that are bigger than art, bigger than music, bigger than the clubs that, like, just prevent Philly from being the space that like Berlin or even New York at its better time was.
0: You know, the, when I was coming up, there was a, an after-hours club um, over near the Air Force Base right. you know, And in South Jersey, and they wouldn't close until 5, 6 in the morning. So I'm, I'm one of those that's a 24-hour person, you know, okay, the club yeah. is now closing. It's 5 or 6 in the morning. Let's go hit the diner, get some breakfast,
2: and then we'll go to bed. Oh, my goodness. If you're from Jersey... you know all about diners late at night oh yes it's like uh there was nothing to do as a kid uh that i guess we can uh be more specific that uh this where we both uh went to the same high school was a small town in south jersey small region of uh, small towns and um jersey is known for having a lot of diners but not like (laughs) not many clubs not many bars besides sports bars so there's really nothing to do for recreation except sit in the parking lot of, like, uh, the convenience store, like a Wawa. Wawa is, like, something like 7-Eleven or something. Yes. Uh, and, like, drink or hang out. Or before you even drank, you literally just sat in a parking lot and just didn't do anything but just hang out. Just hang eventually end up at a diner. Yes. Uh, if, uh, other than that, because I grew up in the 90s, plenty of those hangout t- t- times took place at the mall. You know yeah. what I mean? But um, Yeah, yeah there, wasn't, there wasn't like nightlife. The nightlife was just hanging out. Like, well, yeah, you,
0: you hang at the mall until mall security <laughs> says time to go.
2: Exactly. And then you go to the diner. Like, yeah. we would literally go to the diner after the mall security said yeah. time to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we went to Medport. all of <laughs> <laughs> Remember this place? <laughs> uh, good times. Uh, oh, boy.
0: Okay. Um I'd like to give you a few minutes if there's anything on your mind you want to discuss, anything you're happy about, angry. About. Oh, I do want to ask you one more question. Yeah, Talk sure. to me about your favorite performance place or or the your favorite time that you DJ'd or or do you have one that sticks out?
2: Well, uh, let's see. I would say I'm trying to think, because like this last like year or two have been like really, really amazing. I would say the very last show that I did as Mr. Manic was probably one of my strongest performances uh, that I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And also, um, something really special about that was that it was at the place, Urban Spree, that I just been working. Uh, I'd been working for two and a half years, and it just stopped working there and It was um as uh, an opening act for a release party for another berlin based artist originally from Argentina named Catnap yeah. and I actually met Catnap in the basement of urban spree and I was working as a runner and she was doing a very small show in the basement room and then fast forward two and a half years and I was opening for her on the you know in the main room while she was doing like um, you know, a big album release. And um, in that gig, because it was my last show as Mr. Manic, I included four songs from the beginning of Mr. Manic, like 2007, 2008. And I, rec- I included like about two or three older rap songs of mine from like 2012-ish or something. And then the majority of it was from my album that I released last year. So that was a really special gig because it was like I was able to take the whole journey of Mr. Manic and put it into that one show. And that was really cool, especially getting to like now perform songs that I did over 10 years ago and see them still like get a response. And um, I would say another standout performance just because it was like it just happened so fast in the time that I started really becoming uh, coming into my uh, my uh, reputation here, especially DJing with the House of Presents and performing with them. And at Melt Festival in 2018, we went out there and we had our own Treehouse stage. And um, before uh, Fever Ray did a headlining set on the main stage, uh, we all did like a, a choreographed sequence, like routine, dance routine. Mm-hmm. Um, and. It was super cool. Like it was in front of like, you know, almost twenty thousand people, right before a, a huge act like Viva Ray, who I, like, you know, I never thought I'd ever like meet this person, let alone in this way. And uh, it was just something that happened, just so like, it just for me, it just seemed so sudden to be doing something that big after I felt like I was just getting my footing here, and that was like a really special gig because it opened up a lot of doors and it led to like a. a a chain reaction of a lot of uh, opportunities that really, like, um, yeah, really, you know, helped me build my uh, success here and build my uh, experience here.
0: Speaking of that, if somebody wants to book you, how do we get in touch with you? Uh,
2: you can either go to my artist page on Facebook, which is just ICSA, Ixa Ixa. Uh, or I really mostly respond to Instagram, uh, which my username on there is Ixa I-X-A, underscore, cyborg, that's P-S-Y-B-O-R-G. So Ixa underscore, cyborg. And just write me a message.
0: Before I let you go, if there's anything on your mind that we need to get out in the air today, Happy, sad, whatever.
2: Let's see. When we were, like, talking about planning this, uh, like, when we were actually going to do it, it was fresh off of a pretty crazy chain of events in Philadelphia during the Black Lives Matter protest. Yes. Which, uh, you know, it was like the, the, these conversations are not new, and uh, some of us who have been paying attention and some of us who experience it have been having these conversations for a long time. Um, so when the recent protests were starting to happen, you know, I didn't have the reaction of, like, feeling like, uh, you know, it's like, you know, you get desensitized as something keeps happening so you don't have the same, like, emotional impact. I just knew that this time I didn't want to watch the videos because I was over that. And I started to feel, like, a sort of as I Criticization of these sort of tragedies but then when uh in philadelphia and the country at large all these br- police brutality acts took place towards peaceful protesters and a lot of like uh sort of COINTELPRO pro style disruption of peaceful protests were t- taking place and seeing friends of mine getting tear gassed while peacefully protesting and getting arrested for peacefully protesting was something that really affected uh, me, and we discussed this yep. a bit. And at the time, I was definitely like, uh, you know, having something of a uh, uh, an emotional response to that. But then, since then, we've had this amazing protest here in Berlin that, unfortunately, I missed because I was working. working. But uh, you know, I saw everything, and everyone I know was there. But um, and that this is happening the world over, and there. You know, I I think it's going to take no less than two or three or more generations to really get through these things. But I I want to be positive about some of the progress that's been happening in the past few days, in the past week. I know they are small steps, but I really feel positive when I'm seeing things like, uh, you know, Confederate monuments coming down uh, that two or three years ago we were fighting about them and people said they weren't going to take them down. And, um, you know, some actual conversations about police reform and law enforcement reform are taking place. I really love the mainstreaming and the visibility of these conversations for all the problematic and silly and sometimes embarrassing uh, demonstrations and expressions of those sentiments that there have been and the intersections of like how people respond to other people's responses. Yes. I think it's just overall a beautiful thing that like this is becoming mainstreamed in a way that it's getting harder and harder to turn a blind eye to it and, and sweep it under the rug or turn the back on it. And I really hope that stays that way. And very much so on a personal level between you and I being from Philadelphia, the Frank Rizzo statue. Oh, God. I'm and the Frank Rizzo mural. That how many times have I walked past both of those things, staring at me? And I only know of Frank Rizzo first, or the, not only know the first time I was ever told about Frank Rizzo was just my mom giving me an anecdoted, anecdotal story about this person once being police commissioner and mayor, and the horrible things that a lot of black and poor people went through in Philly. Truth. She, She used to speak about how, uh, I think something that she seemed to be most traumatized by because she would always specifically mention that, like, Black uh, people who were in custody and being searched and harassed by police were often made to strip almost completely naked in the streets in public Mm -hmm. and were humiliated in ways like this. And, uh, you know, these were the kinds of things that, like, anecdotes I was told about this person until as I started getting older, started reading more about you know, the things that he did and what he believed and what Philly went through and how a certain segment of the population views him as the law and order mayor in the experience of another segment of the population is that all he did was harass innocent people. And we know that the way white supremacy and institutional racism works within law enforcement is that privileged individuals and people um, of privilege, so not just racially, but economically, tend to feel safer when they know that poor people or the other are being harassed. And that's the way I can look at that thing. And just seeing that this symbol uh, is something that everyone is now turning against finally after decades of discussion is like something really cool to see. Also, my father once told me a story of when he was a teenager and he had an afro and he used to wear a pick in his hair or pick his hair out with yeah. a, an afro, with an afro pick. And he told me at one time being a teenager and he came upon some two like off-duty police officers, like still in uniform, but like off-duty and they had been drinking and they started messing with him. And, uh, he said that one of them broke, the antenna, radio antenna off of a, uh, remember when cars used to have those? Yes, I did. <laughs> the radio antenna off of uh, a car and said, why did you break that? And it was like kind of threatening him with it. And then they took his Afro pick and broke it and said that, you know, that this could be a weapon. And my dad said he just ran scared, shitless, and didn't look back and just ran. you know how, like when you were so scared that you run that you don't even look, you're just like, let me just go. Yeah. And he said it was kind of like that. Oh and my gosh. So these are the kinds of stories that uh you know are not all not uncommon to be heard uh as an African American. And these are the kinds of things that shape some of our perspectives about police and uh police brutality and uh it's just interesting seeing, like, in this moment, the way the conversation is being had uh, is leading to the toppling of a lot of really long-standing symbols that have been controversial. I, I, I'll take this time to be positive and focus on some of those things, and uh, you know, other other perspectives I have on other things. It's like you know, I've spoken to them to death, so I won't take the time to use this <laughs> exchange for that. <laughs>
0: You know what, maybe we'll we'll have another talk one day.
2: Of course, always.
0: <laughs> it's a thank you so much, darling. I really appreciate you taking some time with me today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Like uh we've talked about this for months. It was awesome to get a chance to work with you uh in Quiros at the end of the last year too. Yeah. So we also have some uh, stage uh experience together now. Stage time together, yes, we have. Yeah, so it's been very nice, and uh, I'm sure we will do more in some way, in some form, somehow, like as we've done. (laughs) Love you. Miss you. you Please take care of yourself. You too. You too. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Bye.
1: So that was Ixa.
0: I love it that even with everything going on, we were able to end on positivity.
1: Yeah, and I think that um, I kind of echo that. I have long been very um, pessimistic about humanity. Yes, uh, and <laughs> uh, and I think uh, well, a small glimmer of hope has opened up. I'm still kind of like, yeah. how, how much good is that going to do? But
0: I'm still with him. It's going to take more than one generation. It's it's going to be a while, but i'm in this for the long haul
1: indeed so um
0: we have another one we okay we have two more interviews holding both of which were done in the house one you know here at home one was about a year ago and then one was just a few days ago
1: i believe yesterday
0: no, nah, it couldn't have been yesterday. As, as
1: of this recording, it was yesterday. Yeah. No. Hmm.
0: Was Today's day. Wednesday.
1: Oh, okay. It was the day before. You. No, it was yesterday. Wasn't it? They
0: came on Monday. Oh, okay.
1: It doesn't matter. Uh, okay. A little glimpse into behind the scenes that nobody cares about. <laughs> um, I wanted to say something. Well, okay. Uh, so that from next episode will be season four because we're also working on a way for people to record on their end that will make for better sound overall.
0: Hoping, hoping fingers crossed thumbs held all of that.
1: Yeah. So then we'll see and um also working on a couple of other podcasts. Oh boy. Yeah. So we'll see how that works out. All right. So thanks for listening. See you next week. Listen, here's the deal. You're leaving Sparkletown, so please be careful out there. We'll be back in a week or so. Sparkletown is uh, produced by Thelandrome, mixed and edited by me, and of course, ruled by the Contessa.